You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Welcome to Form Now. I am Dr. Elizabeth Klein, and here with me today is Dr. Jessica Murdoch. We are both professors who teach here at the Augustan Institute. Uh, and we decided to do a little series on holy women you've never heard of, so more obscure female saints. I have lots of feminine saintly heroes from the tradition that aren't necessarily as popular as I think they should be. Uh, and so we're going to cover some of these saints, and we're going to do them um, in chronological order. So we have a couple from the early church, uh, a couple sort of med medieval saints, and one modern saint. So for this first uh, episode of More Obscure Female Saints, we're going to be talking about one of my favorites, St. Macrina the Younger. Tell me more about St. Macrina. I don't know so much about her, except for that she's a sister to the Cappadocians. Yeah, I think St. Macrina, I think she should be really famous, but unfortunately has been eclipsed by her more famous brothers. Uh, so I like to say that St. Macrina is from the second holiest family because... <laughs> Uh, her, she's the older sister to three canonized saints, Basil the Great, or Basil of Caesarea, uh, Gregory of Nyssa, and Peter of Sebast. Her mother is also a saint, regarded as Saint, Saint Amelia. And then her grandparents all suffered under the persecution under Diocletian. So she's an early Christian saint from the fourth century. Uh, and so the generation before her, there was kind of a, a persecution under a particular emperor. So all of her grandparents were divested of their property. And her grandmother, Macrina the Elder, was a martyr. Uh, and so she has a kind of very holy family. And then closely sort of in their family circle is also Gregory of Nazianzus, who's also, as uh, Dr. Murdoch was mentioning, is called the Cappadocians. So the Cappadocian fathers uh, are this kind of group of fourth century uh, theologians. So that's kind of her uh, her... I don't know, her biography. She's the, the older sister. Uh, but her, she has a very beautiful life. Uh, oh, how do we know her life, actually? Yeah, so her, thanks, thanks for reminding me. Her life's almost, almost skipped that part. So her life is this kind of short letter. It's about 30 pages long. Uh, it's written by her brother, Gregory of Nyssa. Mm. And so it's written on the occasion of her death. Uh, so he has been away from home for a long time. And he has this kind of premonition. He's on his way home and he's told that his sister is ill. And so the kind of the story actually kind of starts at her deathbed hmm. um, and her him having the conversation with her and then kind of reflecting uh, back on her life and, oh, and who she beautiful. was. Yeah. So let me let me think about how I can tell the story of St. Macrina because it's sort of backwards. So uh, so Macrina is this older sister. Uh, and she kind of ends up becoming the matriarch of the family because the father, Basil the Elder, dies. And in the letter where Gregory tells her life, he really emphasizes that she is the reason for the second holiest family, that she's the kind mm. of uh, source of sanctity uh, for the family. And so she is the one who convinces her mother then, after her father has died, to kind of take on this monastic life. So they're from a very wealthy family. They have a very large estate. They own properties in multiple Roman provinces. And Macrina decides to turn their estate into a kind of like quasi-monastic community. Mm. And her mother and her live as equals with the servants. So they kind of, um, you know, get rid of the kind of servant-master distinction. Uh, and they all live together a life of common prayer. Uh, and it seems like it kind of was also like, I don't know, a local like retreat center. <laughs> like it's this local monastic community and people would come out and stay with them and pray with them, take meals with them and then leave again. And so um, Macrina's brother, 
Basil, you know, would come home and stay there. He was the bishop of Caesarea, or Gregory, who was the bishop of Nyssa, would come home and sort of spend time in that family estate as a place of sort of prayer and rest. Um, and I think this form of monasticism, it's very common in the early church. These uh, women were often widowed young. Roman women were married to men who were much older. Uh, they would be left with these estates, and they would often have this kind of second vocation in life where they would have a monastic community, and they would invite people kind of from the community into their homes. And I think it's kind of interesting for us today to think about that kind of monastic life uh, because we're more familiar maybe with sort of St. Francis of Assisi who gives everything away and like throws his clothes off and, mm -hmm. you know, lives a life of poverty, whereas sort of female monasticism in the early church was more about like inviting people into your home or into your state rather than divesting yourself of all their property. And I kind of think that that has interesting implications for how we think about maybe our lives as women after our children are grown, then we're kind of in a similar situation in a way where we have this home that we've built and we have this, well, most of us don't have estates, but we have <laughs> this kind of place that we've built, but we no longer have necessarily children to raise. And is there a way that we can kind of model that? It's a really interesting point. I wonder if it wasn't modeled on the early church, these like small communities working out of their own homes. Yeah, and I do think that it it is continuous with the idea that in the early church, you know, they didn't necessarily have the money to build churches or uh, places of meeting. And so you would have these, you know, Roman benefactors, often women, as you know, in the Gospels, like mm -hmm. people like Lydia are mentioned uh, in Acts as people who had estates and maybe no longer had children or husbands at home. And they, those become kind of the places of Christian meeting or maybe even become these kind of uh, domestic church locations. And so I do think it grows out of that, especially as the idea of women monastic sort of going off to the convent. That's still like mm -hmm. very new in the early church. You know, women still are seen as very much in the domestic sphere. So you have kind of this cool domestic monasticism combo mm. going on in someone like Macrina's life. And she actually was betrothed to be married, um, but her fiance died before the wedding. Mm. And so she took it as a kind of living witness to the resurrection, not to marry because she said, like, you know, he's a, he died a Christian, and so he still lives in heaven. Right, right. So he kind of, she kind of took that as uh, a witness to his his life and him still, him still living. So was Macrina an example for her brothers, or vice versa? Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, I mentioned that Gregory Nyssa saw her as kind of like she's responsible for everyone's sanctity. So I mentioned how she kind of led her mom along in this kind of monastic adventure. But she also had the kind of role of like, I don't know, fraternal correction. She would often kind of knock her brothers down a few pegs. Uh, and so we know uh, Basil of Caesarea, if you don't know Basil the Great, um, he's maybe not as big of a saint uh, in the Western church, but in the Eastern church, he's sort of one of the three great holy hierarchs. One of the liturgies is named after Basil. So very, very famous saint, uh, very well-known orator, good speaker, good preacher, very intelligent. And so uh, Gregory tells us in his life of Macrina that, you know, Basil, he's uh, the oldest son. He gets sent off to the, you know, fancy school. Mm -hmm. um, and he comes home after being like away at college, you know, learning rhetoric and feeling very proud of himself. And, uh, you know, he's doing well in class. Everybody <laughs> thinks he's amazing. Uh, and Macrina basically tells him like, well, you know, you could learn to be a good speaker and be a good lawyer and be famous for a generation, or you could live a life of virtue and be famous forever. Mm. You know, and I just thought, I just think that's 
it's it's funny if you think about like the actual brother sister scene that that, mm -hmm. that must have been but then also that's actually what happened like it's prophetic because that's very true you know if if basil like his father had been a good lawyer you know only people like me who read a lot of patristic history <laughs> might know him but because he took his sister's advice and and took that sort of chastisement to heart of his pride that he he is you know famous forever that he did become mm. this this great uh well-known saint um and then there is another story that gregory of nyssa tells about her sort of doing the same thing to him knocking him down a few pegs so gregory of, of nyssa is, is a bishop uh, and he's involved in um, doctrinal controversies, one over the, the divinity of the Holy Spirit. It's a big mm -hmm. controversy during the time of the Cappadocians and how to describe this, and there's councils being held. Uh, and throughout the course of this debate, Gregory ends up getting deposed from his diocese, uh, you know, false accusations of money mismanagement or whatever. And so he slinks off back home to Macrina and whines about, <laughs> you know, how bad this is and his fate and... He, you know, he's not being treated fairly or whatever. And she just looks at him and she says, like, why do you even think you're worthy to suffer these things for Christ and get wow. such like and get such glory? Like our parents were a lot holier than you are, and they were not thought worthy to experience what wow. you're going through. So like you need to thank like thank the prayers of your parents and like take sort of the the honor that Christ has given you. And just like, okay. Wonderful witness. <laughs> yeah. And and also like it's because it's because of the holiness of her life that you know she she's you know she's practicing what she's preaching right she's living a life of um of virtue and she's you know giving up really this wealthy property to the use of other people mm -hmm. uh, and so she kind of has that like authority to say like i'm you know i'm living this kind of life and god's giving you a gift and an invitation to live right. a kind of a more uh austere austere life for him so I think that's that's a good it's a good lesson for us, and I think she's just such a beautiful model and witness because so many so many of us women like we're often behind the scenes in our family. We're not mm -hmm. necessarily the ones going out. You know, I'm the one on forums, not my husband. But uh, you know, we're not necessarily always the ones who are in the limelight. Mm -hmm. uh, but Gregory just really does this beautiful glimpse into the domestic life and how fundamental she was to the flourishing of the holiness of her family and you find this all over in saints lives like often saints come in groups and not everyone in the group is as famous as all the other mm -hmm. members of the group but it's that sort of like communal uh, uh building in holiness and i think she's also kind of a model of of the domestic church we talk about that a mm -hmm. lot now yes. the domestic church uh but in her case it was kind of like a literal domestic church it's kind mm -hmm. of like a church at her house uh, but also that ability to manage the house, but with detachment. Right. Because I think sometimes, at least I as a mother, think like, it would be nice if I didn't have to pay bills. And if I just like got to be in a monastery and someone else was worrying about like where our car came from and what we were going to eat, you know, <laughs> and it could just be like detached. But she isn't like that. She isn't just someone who joins a convent and gives everything away. She still has to manage her property and she has to manage it you know, her mom isn't capable of doing it. Right. And so she has to do it for the sake of everybody, of all the servants, of all her family and everyone who comes to visit. And so Gregory tells a story about how she has to take on like doing the taxes mm. and she has to do taxes in three different provinces and the Roman government because she has all this property. Uh, and to just like think about the idea of like doing taxes with detachment, like I don't know if it, there is another, you know, sort of 
I don't know if the Macrina patron state of doing taxes, but the <laughs> idea of being able to. Um, but she does seem to be a role model of practical wisdom. Yeah. And, you know, I would recommend uh, if you're interested in Macrina's life to read it. It's not very long. Uh, and so I just actually brought the little volume along. It's Her life is in this book. It's called Lives of Roman Christian Women. Um, and so it's got a number of other uh, lesser known female saints, you know, if you want to check them out. Uh, but it's just kind of a little 30 page life. Uh, and it really is just the life of someone who died to themselves and lived for Christ more and more every day, who saw life as preparation for death, as Gregory tells us, that she always had her eyes fixed on eternal things, you know, with how she dealt with the death of her father, with the death of her fiance, and mm -hmm. with the death of actually Basil, her brother, also dies before her. Uh, and then she herself just dies a very beautiful death. And I don't know if we uh, sort of think about that march towards the crave uh, as a slow process of, you know, inviting other people into our lives, uh, dispersing our property in this detached way so that finally, you know, we're kind of free to live for God. And I think that's that's just what she shows. Hmm. So thank you so much for joining us uh, for this little chat about St. Macrina uh, the Younger. I hope that you liked learning about her holy family uh, and that she will be an intercessor for you. St. Macrina, pray for us. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, ebooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.